all tonight. Thanks for uh, making chapel and being here. Um, appreciate seeing each one of you. Um, when Pastor Bruce emailed uh, faculty and gave the uh, chapel invitation and schedule, uh, I was honored that I made it back on the list. <laughs> Last year was my first time to speak, and uh, I got the uh, Got the email and uh, thought, wow, I must have exegeted very well last year. And I was worried and uh, got, the, uh, got the invitation to speak again. And then uh, he followed up that email with the second email. And uh, the second email just let out scared me because he announced the theme of the chapels this week. And he said, if you could build your sermons around the theme of holiness, that would be great. Now, it's one thing to ask the Christian Education Ministry professor to preach, but it's another thing to ask the Christian Education Ministry professor to preach on holiness. I'm not for sure we even know how to spell holiness, let alone speak on it. But we're going to give it our best. And, uh, and so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. Now, for you theologians in the uh, room, you're going to immediately say, what? Matthew chapter 9. Nobody's ever spoke a holiness or given a holiness message out of Matthew chapter 9. Well, let me remind you, nobody's ever asked a Christian education professor to preach a message of holiness either. So we're going to do our best, and uh, we're going to draw out uh, a message here that I think speaks and has some overtones of holiness. And so Tim is going to do his best to keep up with me in the, in the PowerPoint. And uh, we appreciate Tim stepping in tonight for Patrick and uh, our usual tech man. And, uh, and so he's going to keep up with me or try to. And, and I'm going to try to stay on task and, and get to this. Now, for those of you who are, uh, uh, saw that I immediately am going to speak from Matthew 9, 1 through 34, he immediately said, surely he's not going to read all 34 verses. I understand learning styles. That's what we Christian education professors do know. And so some of you are worried about not all 34 verses. Please, professor, please, not all 34 verses. We're not going to do that. I'm going to let you read those on your own time. But I'm going to give you a synopsis of what, what is taking place here. And so immediately we're going to look at Matthew 9, 1 through uh, verses uh, 6, where Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Now you understand in this passage, in these few verses, there's some Pharisees hanging out, and they're watching Jesus, and they're trying to catch Jesus, and they're trying to trick Jesus, and they're trying to do everything to, to, to have a case against Jesus. And so when Jesus says immediately to this, to this paralyzed man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven, they immediately threw the flag and said, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus appeases them, and he changes the wording around a little bit and has a little discourse with them, a little discussion. And in verse 6 he says, okay, if it makes the religious rulers feel better, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
then immediately, that's what the paralyzed man did. He got up, he took his mat, and he went home. And then we continue this synopsis and continue in this passage of Scripture, and we see the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. In verse 9, Jesus finds Matthew, and he says to him, follow me. Follow me. And again, Pharisees, religious rulers are hanging out and saying, surely you're not going to call a tax collector. There are better people to call to follow you, Jesus. Not a tax collector. A tax collector is the worst of the worst. They're the scum of the earth. They collect taxes. We don't like tax collectors. And surely you don't want a tax collector on your team. <clears throat> and Jesus says, follow me. And he says in verse 13, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's totally foreign to them. They're not understanding this teaching of this Messiah, of this one who calls himself this. And so they're grappling with all this. And then immediately we see another account. And and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, begin to uh, question Jesus' disciples. And so in verses 16, 17, 18, um, verses 16 and 17, we see a discussion going on about Jesus and fasting. And I like how Jesus just kind of says, okay, you want to have this discussion? You want to talk about this? Let's just, let me help you with some obvious answers in verses 16 and 17. You want to talk about pouring wine into old skins and wine skins and new wine skins and new wine and old wine and, and you know the answers to this. But if you want to have this discussion, let me just, let me just, we'll have it. And so Jesus just has this little discussion with them. It's kind of like college students. You didn't think this sermon would apply to you. <laughs> See, we sometimes college students want to make the answers harder than it really needs to be. I'm, I'm teaching an online course right now, so we're all safe, so I'm not talking about you. Okay. I'm, I'm teaching an online course right now. And I... And one of the assignments was just post an article that you found on the website that deals with leadership. And I have a student that's online, and he wrote me a five-page paper. And the art and the assignment was simple: find an article online that defines leadership. And I got a five-page paper. He really made it harder than he had to. And I really wanted to say to him, why are you making this so hard? But I didn't think professors should do that. <laughs> and so I just read his five-page paper, and I looked for his article, and he had it in there, thankfully. But sometimes, I think, in, like in this example, Jesus says, you're making this harder than you really need to. You know the answers to about fasting. You know the answers. But you're just making it harder. It's obvious. 
Christian. Amen. We move on. And uh, we get to the raising of a dead girl. The religious ruler of the synagogue, his daughter has died. And Jesus comes, and all the mourners are there already. And, and Jesus just tells them, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he goes over and takes her by the hand and says, and heals her and brings her back to life. Verse 24, the girl is not dead, but asleep. And then during this same passage of scripture, we see him healing a woman who's been dealing with a bleeding issue for many, many years. And this woman says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I can be healed. And as he's walking amongst the crowd, Jesus knows that someone has touched him, and he turns and he says to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And then we move on to verses 27 through 34, the healing of the blind man. And I want you to really catch this. Verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had knelt on the doors, the blind men came to him and, and he asked him, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Now I think, just from reading this passage and reading this next verse, this must have been a bunch of Nazarenes in the midst. Because Jesus warned them sternly, seeds that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about them all over that region. Nazarenes can't keep a secret if you can. And so they went out, but Jesus had told them, don't tell anyone. And there's reasons why he was telling them not to do that. His time had not yet come. And so he, he didn't want them to go out. But they were so excited, I think, about what had just happened to them. Do you believe I'm able to do this? And according to your faith, let it be done to you. And they were healed. If I was going to give all of these passages, these verses, an overarching theme, it would be this. Encounters with Jesus. Encounters with Jesus. See, each one of these accounts, lives were changed forever. A paralyzed man is now walking. A tax collector has a new direction and purpose in his life. The dead are no longer dead. People have experienced physical healing. Their lives have been changed because of an encounter with Jesus Christ. 
See, here's hang tight. This is where I think the correlation of salvation and holiness happens. Because, see, I think there's some people in here in these passages of Scripture that did truly have a salvation experience. But I also believe that there are some people whose faith went a little bit deeper with Jesus Christ because of their encounter with Him. And for me, that is what holiness is really about, is realizing you've been saved, but then I have a deeper walk and a deeper experience with Christ that is life-changing and that is life-transformational. It's not just a salvation experience, but it's a life that's changed and grown deeper and going deeper with Christ. Now, I know you all are impressed with that knowledge from a Christian education professor. And this, and this has not come easy. See, I share office suite with Dr. Tom Keene, Dr. Dan Powers, <laughs> Pastor Bill Warrington, and we talk deep and share great truths down there. And I just sit at their feet just as you do. And we talk about holiness every time we get to get down no, But I've been in the Church of the Nazarene long enough that I know that we believe in two works of grace. We believe in salvation. And I believe some of these people that we just read about who had an encounter with Jesus Christ, Yes, they came to a faith in Jesus. But then I believe some of these people whose lives were changed forever and went deeper. And they got a new direction and a new purpose in their lives. Can you see it? Say amen. Just appease me, please. Say amen. Amen. All right. I was a youth pastor for about 17 years. And, and I love being a youth pastor. So youth pastor back when it was cool to be a youth pastor. But I was a youth pastor, and, and probably one of the highlights of my youth pastor experience, and, and, and a guy that probably really um, supported me as I got my feet really in youth pastor is my, my good friend, Dr., Dr. Reverend Roy Peterson, and he's back here, and he supports me even to this day. But Reverend Roy Peterson gave me a chance way back when to speak to Kansas, and uh, just took me under his wings, and uh, he was my senior pastor, but he's he hired me on as my, my first new pastor sign that was with him. And uh, he would say that he has no hair because I was his first new pastor. But uh, anyway, but I, I love my youth, youth pastor experiences. And uh, this, is, this is kind of where, um, and I'm not making fun of, 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 of this scenario at all. Please hear me out. But camp was probably one of the highlights of youth ministry. I love going to camp every year with the teenagers, and we had some great camp experiences. But it was probably on Thursday night every year at camp that you really had a spiritual experience for the kids. I don't know if it was the fact that the end of camp was coming and everybody's thinking about, got to go back home, and so I better get serious about Jesus. So let's make Thursday night the night we find Jesus are getting serious about this faith. And, and I remember so many times 
kneeling at an altar of prayer, and I'm thankful in the church and answering, we have open altars where people can come to the altar and they can pray for salvation, they can pray for sanctification, they can pray for about anything that they got going on in their lives. But it seemed like to me that every year some of the same teenagers would be coming forward praying about the same thing and the same issues. And I wanted to say to them, but I did because I'm a pastor with compassion. But I wanted to say to them, why are you back here dealing with the same stuff? Weren't you here last year? Praying over the same stuff. But I did. Like I said, I was a pastor of compassion. And I would pray with them and I would encourage them. And I wanted them to feel like they could come and, and know that they could come more than feel. I wanted them to know that they could come and pray. Because they're on a journey, just like all of us. But I think there comes a time when we in our spiritual lives, we have to realize we're no longer blind. We've had an encounter with Jesus. We're no longer deaf. We've had an encounter with Jesus. We're no longer suffering physically because we've had an encounter with Jesus. We are no longer the lowlifes, a tax collector, because we have a new direction and purpose in our lives. I just believe that there's a lot of Christians who sit around and are stand, sitting around thinking, I'm going nowhere with this. I'm going nowhere with this. But I believe when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, your life will be changed forever and should be changed forever. See, I believe that there are some people still having encounters with Jesus Christ. We need people to wake up and realize, wake up and realize that Jesus has come to you and he's made a difference and he's made a change in your life. Remember, you are no longer blind. Remember, you are no longer deaf. Remember, you are no longer dead. You are alive in Christ. Remember, you have been called out. As I was thinking about how I could close this sermon, some of you remember from last year, I closed out the sermon by giving out peace. And some of you, when you saw that I was preaching tonight, you were hoping I was giving up peace again. And that's why you showed up. Well, due to budget constraints, there are no peace. <laughs> and plus, there's no application of peace in the sermon. But as I was thinking about how I could close out this sermon, I, I just really was trying to figure out how, how we could close it out. And on Saturday nights in, up in Denver, on one of our channel, Denver TV stations, probably about 5 o'clock, um, 
The Gaither Gospel Hour comes on. Now some of you are saying, who? Gaither who? Well, I think Jim Russell went to college with Bill Gaither or something. Anyway, Bill Gaither is, is a gospel songwriter, southern gospel. I don't like a lot of southern gospel, but I, every now and then I just need a little bit of southern gospel in my life. And so, 5 o'clock on Saturday night, um, turned on Bill Gaither. My wife exited the room because she does not appreciate Southern Gospel music. Pray for her. She needs <laughs> But she left the room and, and it was just me and Bill uh, in the room. And, and a song began, the Gaither vocal band and Ernie Haas, the sing, signature sound, began to sing a song called I Then Shall Live. And I thought, as I was listening to that song, you know what? I think this song summarizes and says really what, what I think my sermon is really trying to say. Probably going to say it better than I can. I hate Bill Gaither. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, but anyway, but really, the song I Live Shall Live was playing, and it, it really does summarize what I think I've been trying to say and what I think I got out of the passage of Scripture that I've read and tried to deliver to you tonight. And so I want us to close just by listening to Bill Gaither. So some of you are going to have to really, Dr. Storrs, really go with your wife next time. And some of you are going to say, yeah, I get it. I get it. But I really want you to remember you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what the holiness message is about. Realizing you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. So let's listen. I then shall live. 